0: And all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, and all who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him.
1: All right, let's pray. Father, it is a very weighty thing to speak on your behalf. I mean, how do you do it? we can't but it's because of christ that uh we're here today it's because of his sacrifice for us pray that that would burn in our hearts and in our minds and wash over our anxieties and our sins and uh set us free to be your children pray that these words that i speak will not be mine but they'll be yours And that you'll use this foolish preacher, this weak vessel, to um, speak life into the lives of your children. And even speak life into the lives that are maybe um, you are calling to seek you. And so I pray that you will uh, be glorified now in this time that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, There was a story about a man who brought a parrot into a veterinarian's office and the parrot was dead but he didn't want to believe it so he asked the vet is my parrot dead and the the vet said yeah he's dead yet he didn't want to believe it because he loved this parrot and he said well I want a second opinion and he said well I'm telling you I'm a vet I've been a vet for years and I'm telling you this bird is dead it's dead and so he said, well, I, can you run some sort of test or something? Because I got to see exactly if this bird is dead or not. If there's just a little bit of life in it. He said, okay. So he whistles, and all of a sudden, this brown Labrador retriever comes walking in and jumps up on the table and kind of sniffs around the bird, just kind of looks at it, and then looks at the vet and says, And then the, the dog walks away and then, then he whistles again and a cat comes in, jumps up on the table and the cat sniffs the bird and he looks at the vet and he goes, walks away and the vet looks at the guy and says, it's confirmed your, your bird is dead, that'll be $500. He said, $500, you're going to make me pay you $500 to tell me that my bird is dead? He said, hey, you should have listened the first time, but I had to run a lab report and a CAT scan, and he's dead, and now you owe me $500. (laughs) Boy, the first service was dead when I told that joke. But there's a point to that story. Many times we don't listen to the expert, which is Jesus Christ, when things are really dead in our lives. We should be listening to him first, so that he can resurrect those areas of our lives, that need to be drawn back to himself. And we're going to study here today about a man named Peter. And I love Peter. I relate to Peter a lot because the poor guy, every time he opened his mouth, it was to change feet, right? I mean, you got to love him. And uh, Peter was at the end of his rope. He was tired. He was exhausted. He was fatigued. He had been fishing all night long. And at this point, All his dreams, his desires, everything was dead. And so if you're here today, did I say tonight? Today, and you're in Christ, I'm not going to tell you anything you you don't already know. But if you're being called to seek Jesus, some of these things may be new to you. And the Lord is going to be drawing your heart to himself. So in in the story, in verses 1 and 2, it says the crowd was really pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God says in the previous chapter that the temptation happened i call it the supernatural bowl jesus and satan satan tries to throw everything at jesus and yet he couldn't defeat him and he goes around he gets thrown out of his own hometown and then at the very end of the chapter chapter four he says i must preach the good news in these towns as well around the galilee area to fulfill isaiah chapter 9 that says that the people have seen a great light, and this is what he's doing. He's making the tour. He's he's been on Bill O'Reilly, Anderson Cooper. I mean, he's 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 getting famous, but he's not getting famous for the sole purpose of being famous. He's he's drawing attention to his word and his work that he's getting ready to do on the cross, on our behalf, to be to glorify the Father. So they're pressing in on him and he sees two boats by the lake verse 2 but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets i want you to notice the first point is jesus is the opportunistic savior who looks for and uses ordinary people and ordinary things for extraordinary purposes for his glory and the furtherance of the kingdom notice that notice that jesus used a boat to preach from he uses ordinary things in your life to proclaim the gospel, your occupation, your sports league, your bridge club, whatever to bring his glory about. Every one of you this morning has a pulpit. It just may not look like this. It could be a boat. It could be a hammer and nails. It could be Facebook. It could be whatever. But each of you has a a pulpit that jesus wants to use to proclaim the kingdom of god and jesus noticed the fishing net in the story now fishing in that day typically in the region of galilee you didn't have that many occupations to choose from you were either a fisherman you were in agriculture there was simon the tanner in the book of acts there really wasn't that many things to choose from and peter had a fishing business and the nets were typically made they were round And they had pieces of rock or bone at the ends so that when you threw, when you threw out the net and you pulled it in, it would literally pull in and get the the throng of fish. Uh, The point was, though, is that you didn't fish in deep water during the daytime because the fish didn't migrate that way. And so these nets, Jesus, the the story tells us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that There were men washing their nets with fresh water. You see, if you um, did not wash your nets, they would rot and they would break really easily. So after use, they would have to wash the nets with fresh water and they would have to stretch them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the water of the word that needs to be washed over us to keep us usable, pliable, joyful, keeps us uh, humble, and it's there to keep our joy and keep us stretched. There was a pastor in California by the name of Chuck Smith, and he once said, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. That's not in the Bible, but I thought it was good. Um, So it's the washing of the water of the word that cleanses the, the, the word of God. When you see that term, that phrase, the word in Scripture, means one of two things. It almost always means the gospel, but it also is synonymous with the word of God or the Bible. And so that word is our life food. We need to feed on it the gospel as if it were our last meal so that it washes over our anxieties, washes over the things of who we are in Christ. And, and what is the gospel? What is that water? What does it look like? It's this, that we were God's enemies. We were born into sin. And we were literally born hating God. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We don't even have the ability to come to him on our own. We have to be drawn. Jesus said, "Um, those whom the Father has given me shall never be plucked from my hand. So we have to be given over of the father by jesus and the gospel is is that christ in his glory became a man flesh and blood like you and me and he 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 paid a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay on the cross of calvary and he set us free from our sins from from judgment into his glorious presence For his name's sake, he forgave us of our sins, the scripture says. And that is the very message that keeps us pliable, useful, joyful, in constant worship and awe of Christ. That is the water that we need to be washed with every single day. So Jesus uses Peter, a tired, worn out, skeptical person. Peter was weak. He was tired. He was very doubtful. And yet, don't you find it interesting that Jesus comes to Peter in his greatest moment of weakness? Don't be surprised when Jesus shows up at your weakest point, at your most doubtful point. Don't be surprised when Jesus comes to you with a request on those days when you have just had it. Because he is, he's bringing you back into a right relationship with himself. In 1 Corinthians uh, one to 26-28, Paul makes this point pretty clear. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Consider your calling. You weren't wise. I wasn't wise. We were fools. And Jesus called us. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so in verse 3, Jesus gets into the boat, which was Simon's. It's interesting, he picks Simon's boat. He picks it. And he says, or he asks Peter, he requests that he kind of shoves it off away from the land a little bit. Jesus always speaks the gospel before calling us to obedience and action. If there's no gas in my Jeep, it doesn't run. There has to be fuel. And that fuel to obey Christ comes from him and his gospel, who you are, the good news. That is your fuel. Jesus commanded Peter to launch the bow down into the shallow before launching into the deep. And I suggest to you it's because Jesus wanted Peter as a captive audience. He wanted Peter to hear the words that he was speaking. He wanted Peter to hear the the, the graciousness of God and the holiness of God so that it would sink deep into his soul. And that's exactly what Christ has called us to do. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The world says... Go, 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 do, do, do. But Christ says, stop, 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 rest, rest, rest. And then I'll command you to cast the net in my direction. You see, it's important that we hear the gospel constantly. For it is the power of God unto salvation. As Romans 16 says. You see, Jesus got into Simon's boat. It's interesting knowing Simon would react negatively to Jesus' commands. It's interesting that Jesus picks us when we are weak. Don't be surprised if Jesus comes into your life and picks the weakest area of your life to demonstrate his glory. To demonstrate his glory and his goodness. Jesus is all about calling you to the impossible, he is. Look throughout the scriptures. What about the Israelites when God called them to go around Jericho seven times? I mean, can you imagine? Boy, these trumpets better work. These better be some bad-to-the-bone trumpets. I mean, think about it. That's ridiculous. And then the walls are going to come down. You know what I'm saying? And then he calls Gideon. I want you to whittle your guys down to 300 men. And then what I want you to do is stand at the top of of a hill. Stand at the top of a hill. And I want you to put clay jars over your torches. And then at my word, I want you to break those jars and just hold your torches up, and I'm going to defeat the enemy. What? That's impossible. What about Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verses 13 and 14? What, what did he ask Philip to do with the 5,000? He says, Philip, you feed them. What? Me? He was calling Philip to do something that was impossible. What's interesting about that scripture is, it says there were about 5,000 men and Jesus commanded them, have them sit down in groups of 50 each. It's interesting that Jesus was making them lie down in green pastures. Psalm 23. Isn't it funny how God has to make us lie down in green pastures to receive himself? It's incredible. You see, your life should always be lived as a response to the gospel. Your life should always be lived in response to what Christ has done for you. God is always, Jesus is always the initiator. You just respond. You just respond. We're never to work harder or knuckle down, tighten our bootstraps to achieve. Rather, we to we need to stop and hear what Christ has done for his glory. And then we can launch out into the deep. And then we can do it from a perspective of rest and grace. And then we can strive with his energy, not ours. His energy, not ours. In fact, Paul makes this point in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28. Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this, listen to this, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says that he is struggling with not his own energy, he's struggling with the energy that is of Christ that has been provided. I think that the church really needs to Get our theology right when it comes to work. Because we work so hard and yet we get nowhere yet when we rest in Christ. It drives us. It drives us. Let me there was an illustration about a man who is carrying a huge sack of grain on his shoulders. And it's just heavy and it's a big burden. And a man comes riding up next to him in a horse and buggy. And he said, and he feels pity for the man, so he says. Hop in the back. Hop on. I'll give you a ride wherever you need to go. So the man obliged and said, thank you, sir. So he hops in, and they're riding along for, for some way. And the, the driver looks back, and he sees the man sitting in the cart with the holding the bag on his shoulder still. And he's, and he's coming under the weight of that. And he says, you know, you, you can just lay that sack down. You can just lay it down. And the man looks at him and says, oh, I couldn't burden you more than what I already have. He's already carrying the load anyway. And you see, some of you here today, some of you are carrying burdens that you were meant to lay down. You were meant to lay these burdens down because Christ is already carrying you if you are in Christ. He's already carrying the burden for you. So lay it down. Lay it down. So in verses 4 and 5 when he had finished speaking he said to Simon Peter go out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch so after the after the word was given after the bible study was over peter or jesus gives peter a command next point is our response to hearing the word determines what's in our hearts and what needs to be sanctified to christ See, after Jesus finishes speaking about the kingdom of God, he requires action from Peter. Obedience. This tells us a couple of things. After Jesus commands Peter to launch out into the deep, Peter responds in doubt to the word. You don't understand, Jesus. We've been out all night. You're just a carpenter. I've been doing this fishing stuff my whole life. This is what we learned in Fishing University. You fish in the shallow at night, not in the deep during the day. See, what is it about Peter? Peter doesn't see Jesus as God. Peter has not put his security in Jesus for his provision. Peter does not see Jesus as the creator. Peter does not see Jesus' intense love for him. So in part, Peter is not believing something about Jesus' character. Causing him fatigue. It's causing him anxiety. It's causing him frustration. And all of these areas of Peter's heart will be sanctified back to Jesus after this miracle. Does this sound familiar? Are you anxious? Are you tired? Are you frustrated? See, every one of us is an unbeliever when it comes to to the gospel there's areas of our lives that are not submitted to the lordship and the gospel of Jesus Christ why do i say that because jesus says in john 16:9 that all sin is not believing the gospel all sin is not believing the gospel and when we don't believe the gospel we're looking for another Savior to save us from our fear, our anxiety, and our depression. We're looking for other things to fill that need. We're exchanging a lesser affection. We're we're exchanging a greater affection for a lesser affection. That's called idolatry. And so Christ invites us, make me the greatest affection of your life. And that affection will give you the power to live an abundant, joyful, obedient life that I want you to have, a joy-filled life. See, Jesus asks us to do things. He's asking Peter, Peter, go out a little deeper this time. And can you imagine Peter's thinking, this goes against all logic, it goes against all reason, it goes against all my experience, all my expertise. But God is calling you and me. Jesus is calling you and me. To do things that don't make sense. It's very specific. Go out. Maybe Jesus is telling you to go a little deeper in your marriage. A little deeper in your relationships. A little deeper with that boss you don't like. A little deeper in that schoolwork that's weighing you down a little deeper against all your logic and reasoning so that you can be blessed. See, you've been working so hard to get by in a certain area, you're ready to give up because you've tried everything. Your expertise does not glorify Jesus. Faith does. And according to Hebrews, there's only one way to please God, Hebrews eleven, and that's by faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. And he who must, he who comes to God must believe that he is God, and check this out. This is beautiful truth, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Yes. So it's funny, Peter literally argues with the Lord. He's telling Jesus, we didn't learn this in fishing school. You ever, you ever find yourself arguing with the Lord? Oh, come on. That's ridiculous. It may be. But we're called to obey, not to question. So in verse 6, it says, When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Their nets were breaking. Huge amounts of fish. Can you imagine? Next point is blessing comes when we obey his commands. Blessing comes when we obey him. You see, we can miss the simple commands of Jesus because we're so wrapped up in how we feel. Trying to find significance in everything else but Christ. There was a story, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip. And after a good meal and a bottle of wine, they went to sleep. And sometime later, Holmes awoke and nudged his friend. Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Well, I see millions and millions of stars. And Holmes says, well, what does that tell you, Watson? Well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets astrologically i observe that saturn is leo is in leo horologically i deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three theologically i can see that god is all powerful and that we are small and insignificant meteorologically i suspect that we all that we will all have a beautiful day tomorrow what does it tell you watson you idiot someone has stolen our tent I love the second service. Just laugh at all my stupid jokes. But do you see the point in that? We miss the simple obedience of Christ. we're, We're trying to figure all this stuff out of life when the answer is just obey. Rest and obey for there's no other way and we make it more complicated than what it is, but yet Christ has called us to a life of abundance. I'm not talking prosperity through materialism and wealth, although God does bless that way. But the prosperity I'm talking about is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. For in those things, Galatians 5.22 says, there is no such law obedience and in first samuel fifteen twenty two, samuel says to um, saul out of his disobedience he says has the lord, has the lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams i uh, remember the story of achan in joshua chapter 7 The Lord says to Israel, when you guys take down Jericho, whatever spoil comes out of that belongs to me. But every other city you conquer after that, it belongs to you. Well, Achan got a little greedy and snuck some loot in his tent and hid it. And he paid for it. So did his family. The point is, is he wasn't obedient. He wasn't obedient and it cost him. There was a, my dad, when I was in high school, had a Porsche. It was a used one. I wasn't a, I wasn't a rich kid. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But he, he had a Porsche, and he used to make me wash it. Oh, I hated washing that thing. And I would just sort of throw suds on it. I would just sort of wash it off. And I, you know, I really didn't do that great a job. Ah, but then I met a girl. And my dad looked at me, and he says, you want to take her out in the Porsche? Yeah. So man, I I scrubbed that bad boy. I mean, I I armor-alled it, I vacuumed it out. I mean, when I was done, it was smelling fruity. I mean, it was so good. I mean, it was so clean. But so what was the difference? What motivated me to clean that Porsche? It was love. And that is the obedience that God desires you to obey him out of love not out of law and chore because you actually get more done and you actually bring more glory to to his name when you obey him out of love out of what he's already done for you at the cross of calvary let his love for you and what he has done at the cross let that joy just burst forth from your heart and then you will see that you won't be doing things out of chore, but you'll be doing, oh my gosh, I, I can't, I, I, let me do something, Jesus. I just want to do something. You do things because you've been declared righteous. And you're able by His power to labor in the obedience His way. Do you want your children walking around you on eggshells? No. You want them to be free. You want them to obey. but You want them to be free. God is a father. He wants you to obey him out of love. Out of affection for him. And so in verse 7, they signal their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both the boats. I mean, that must have been just a throng of fish. A ridiculous amount. And notice that the scripture says that they had to call other guys to come and help. You see, God calls us to be channels of his blessing, not reservoirs. God calls us to be channels of his blessing, not reservoirs. He didn't call us to hoard all the things that he's given us. He's called us to be channels to bless others. One boat could not handle that haul of fish, so they called the other boats to assist. Can you imagine if the one boat tried to keep the haul? That boat would have sunk, and then everybody would have lost. But he calls in his boys, and he says, here, let's share this. Let's even it out, and let's go bless people. See, Jesus blesses us for the purpose of being a blessing to others. In fact, when he calls Abraham, um, when he calls Abraham out to go down to the land of Canaan, he says, "I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing." Do you have a talent? Do you have a treasure? Do you have things that you're good at? Are you, are you giving those things away not out of a sense of law but out of a sense of joy and obedience to Christ what might those those things be and don't miss this the ultimate blessing is Christ himself he is the greatest treasure, God the Father is so generous, I mean think about it Jesus what shall we do to ransom those people down there should we, give him, should we do the universe? Should we do, I mean, what? And no, nope. Going to sacrifice his son. Think about this. Was there anything more that Christ, was there anything more that God could have given to free us from our sins? Was there anything more valuable? That's just, wow. I love you all, but if I were to be honest, I don't love you enough to give one of my kids up for you. You know, I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> I just don't. And, and you wouldn't for me either. I mean, it's if I were to be honest, but the reality is, is that God gave His Son. Romans chapter 5. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and gave Himself for us. So why does Jesus bless in this way? Well, for one, it glorifies Him. It says more about himself doesn't it It says more about himself about who he is what his character is and the second is because he loves to bless his kids he does and it's so that no one will take the credit and it's so that he'll get all the glory and so look at peter's reaction in verse 8 but when simon peter saw it he fell down at jesus knee saying Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of becoming a disciple. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we see here that this miracle was to glorify Jesus, and it was to expose Peter's pride and thus lead him to be a true disciple. You see, Peter responds rightly in seeing the majesty of Christ on full display with these fish and his sin. And there was a terror within him, a holy terror to where he's like, oh, get away from me. I am, I am sinful. In fact, the word fearful there in the Greek is the word phobia. It's where we get our English word phobia. It, 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 it literally means he was deathly afraid of Jesus at that point cowering and Peter was afraid in the sense of holding him in such great awe but Jesus tells him to put that away put it away if your fear of God is greater than your lesser fears then you shall have a greater peace rather than a lesser peace if your fear of God is greater than your lesser fears then you shall have a greater peace rather than a lesser peace Proverbs nine ten says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Remember Isaiah in chapter six, he comes into the throne room of God and he sees the Lord seated high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and the whole earth was filled with his glory. And he stands there and he goes, wow, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips, for I am undone. And he's literally just wants to fall down dead. I am undone. He doesn't even know what to do with himself. He's, he's such terror of a holy God. And you got those angels flying around saying, holy, holy, holy. Which is interesting. How many times does they say holy? Three times. Father, Son, and Spirit. And the same scene is in Revelation chapter 4. And they're just flying around holy. They're, they're praising God for his holiness. And yet, uh, Isaiah is standing there in the presence of this, and he doesn't know what to do with himself. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to have that perspective of God's holiness. A healthy fear. Not a cowering fear, but a healthy fear that says, Whoa, whoa. I did a um, I officiated a wedding on Friday night and I was wearing a white shirt and I got a little spot on it and it's interesting it was a brand new white shirt that my wife bought me and it had this little spot here on the side and what's interesting it didn't matter how nice the shirt was didn't matter how pressed it was what were you looking at you were looking at that white spot and and when we see our sin in light of just this purity and this glory and this excellence and this holiness our first reaction should be one of terror. But yet Jesus says, fear not. Fear not. John Calvin says this, although men are earnest in seeking the presence of God, yet as soon as God appears, they must be struck with terror and almost rendered lifeless by dread and alarm until Christ administers consolation. They have the best reason for calling earnestly on God because they cannot avoid the feeling that they are miserable. See, a healthy fear of God is being terrified to be outside of His blessing and protection and glory. It's that healthy. Dwight Moody was once traveling by boat on one of the Great Lakes Of course moody was up in the chicago area and a really bad storm developed and it was tossing and turning the boat and uh, they even started to pray and ask god to deliver them from the storm and moody didn't join in this prayer meeting and one of the passengers says why aren't you joining us in prayer mr moody he says i have a sister in chicago and i have one in heaven and i don't care which one i see first See, it didn't matter the circumstances around Moody. His confidence was in Christ and what Christ has done and the victory that Christ brought him and where he stood. And that's where the law can bring us. The law can do that when we try to obey it. The law, do you know why God gave us the Ten Commandments? To show us that we can't keep them. In fact, Galatians tells us that the law acts as a tutor or schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. Let me illustrate. Say I feel something wrong and I go to the hospital and the doctor takes an x-ray of me. And that x-ray machine says that you have cancer. And I go, oh man, what, what am I driven to do now? find a cure find somebody find a doctor who can cure me at that point did the x-ray machine do its job of course but at that point was there anything that the x-ray machine could do for me absolutely not it did its job it's perfect there's nothing wrong with the x-ray machine It did its job and it drives me to find a savior, somebody who can cure me. And that's what the law does. The law exposes who we are. Not just what we've done. At the very core of our nature is we are sinners. That is our identity before Jesus Christ. It's to expose that and it's to cause us to be in the holiness of God and say, I can't take this. I, I am undone. Please get away. And then Christ comes. And he says, fear not. For I have taken care of this on Calvary. Because I want you to stand in my presence free. The cross delivers us. And Hebrews chapter 4 says. That you can walk boldly into the throne of grace. Some of you here might be cowering before God. You're going like this. And that's good in part, but you're, but Christ has done a work on the cross in blood so that you can have confidence to walk boldly with Him. Therefore, square your shoulders. Walk boldly into the throne of grace because it has been provided... And you have access to it any day or night. Let me illustrate it another way. As by picture's sake, say you're living in the Civil War era and you're a slave, and you hear about this president named Abraham Lincoln, and he signs a declaration called the Emancipation Proclamation. And that makes you a free man or a free woman. You're free. You're free to go. You're free to live your life. And one day you're walking down the street. And opposite you, you see your old slave master. And he starts yelling at you. That slave master's name is sin. Get back to work. Do this. Do that. At that point, you have a choice. You, you can either come under the authority of the law. Or you can come under the authority of the gospel and who you really are. You see, the law provokes the sin within us. It does. It says, uh, Romans 3.19 says, Whatever the law says was written for those under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that the world will be held accountable to God. Sin Uh, The law seizes an opportunity for sin to worry. It provokes the sin within us. The Bible says if we try to obey by doing good things, it provokes us to where we can't do it. If I painted this wall and I said, wet paint, do not touch, what do you want to do? But yet Christ says, come under the authority of the gospel. This is what I made you to be. This is who I am. The cross of Calvary has made you stand in my presence, in my glory, and therefore you're free. You don't have to obey your old slave master anymore. You can obey me and obey the gospel and who you really are. Now that brings God glory. That's good news. In Luke, uh, again, verse 9 and 10, Peter is just floored. I mean, it says here that all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. The gospel changes our occupations and Jesus begins to call us to a greater work. Jesus didn't go after the first crop of graduates out of rabbi school. And there's nothing wrong with education. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But he chooses foolish, the foolish, the the ordinary. He calls them. Now think about it. What do you do for a living? Do you know how important you are to the kingdom of God where you're at? We need more churches. We need more pastors. But we also need more lawyers, more doctors, more waitresses, more waiters, uh, more mechanics, more computer programmers. We need more to build the kingdom of God. And at this point, your job can change with the gospel. Your schooling can change with the gospel. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation, as Corinthians says. Do you see how that changes everything? You're an ambassador of the king. What you do is important. Even if you're struggling in your occupation, look at it with fresh gospel eyes and see what your greatest purpose for being there is. You see, the Lord brought them to the peak of ultimate success, and they chose to leave it. They said, we're done. And so Christ calls you, do not be afraid, stand. As he says to John in Revelation chapter 1, I am the first and the last, he says. I was dead, but now I am alive write these things which you see in a book in revelation he calls you to not be afraid he's calling you to come to come to him and it says last point they see this hall of fish and they leave it can you imagine what a chunk of change that would have brought at the market can you imagine that i mean i'm just guessing i'm i don't know i'm i'm not that smart But I would think that it would probably be a year's salary right there. And yet they chose to leave it because Jesus became the treasure. Is Jesus your greater treasure? There is no one that can compare. No position, no amount of money, no amount of relationship nothing can compare with the treasure that christ is it's just a matter of do we make him our treasure he's so beautiful to behold so let me ask you a question is jesus enough for you today is he your portion in psalm chapter 16 where the psalmist says in his right hand there are pleasures forevermore do you know that god wants you to have pleasure He wants you to have it in him. He wants you to have it in him. William Randolph Hearst was a famous and wealthy newspaper publisher in the 1920s. He loved art, and he had a massive art collection. And one day he read of a painting, and he decided that he he had to own it. Hearst sent two of his men to Europe to find the painting to buy it. And the two men scoured European art galleries four months till they finally found it they finally located it and they came to Mr. Hurst with the information and Mr. Hurst was elated he says great where is it I will pay whatever price he said Mr. Hurst it doesn't cost you anything it's been in your warehouse the whole time you see stop looking for what is already yours. You have Christ. More importantly, Christ has you. I don't know how your life has turned out. I don't know what you're going through. But let the glory and the richness of the cross of Calvary blow you away. Make you terrified, but then bring you great joy knowing that the wrath is not abiding on you if you are in Christ. Let the glorious truth that the greatest treasure has been brought to you, and let that wash over your fears and your anxieties. Let the fact that Christ is alive with you now, leading you, helping you, serving you. We live in a world where the world wants to spread the table for their idols, for their gods. But yet we worship a Savior who spreads the table for His people. Rest in that truth today. And if you are not in Christ, I beg you, I beg you, do not leave, do not leave this place without repenting of your sins. Repentance, simply, and that word's thrown around in Christendom, but all it means, repentance just means going one way, and you turn around, and you face Christ, and you walk towards Him. Repentance is a great gift. And when Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel, He wasn't saying do it just once, He was saying it uh, to do it as a lifestyle. As Martin Luther says in his 90, the first of his 95 Theses, All of a Christian's life is one of repentance. Repentance is a gift to restore your intimacy with Christ and your joy. If you don't know Christ, go to Him in your heart. And when you do, let us know the decision that you've made so we can pray with you. We we would love to talk to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for what he's done. I thank you for who he is. I thank you that we've been set free and that we stand in freedom and joy. Oh, Lord, keep us in that place. Keep Christ in the center, Lord. Do not let us become like the foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. Remove that propensity to try to be made perfect through the flesh and help us to rest in what has been provided for us through Christ. And may you be glorified. May you be glorified. May you rule and reign in our hearts in this place.